Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Assalamu alaikum. I'd like to thank the organizers of this ICNA mass convention for allowing me to participate in a most important discussion about Sharia and how, more specifically for me, how you and I can make very important strategic alliances that will not be a solution to all of the issues that we're confronting as it relates to religious freedom in this country today, but would be a part of a process that would help not only the situation of Muslims and Christians and Jews and all of the faith communities in this country, but would also elevate the moral fiber and provide once again the United States of America the opportunity to show the world how one is to act with religiously diverse populations in its midst. If you've heard this particular story from me before, or if you're familiar with this story, just bear with me. I want to share something at the very beginning to make a point, to get to a point. But also, I share it so often because it had such a profound effect on me as an individual. In September of 1979, a group that was calling itself Workers' Viewpoint disrupted a Klan Nazi rally in China Grove, North Carolina. And the Klan and Nazis were marching around and carrying their signs and spewing their hateful words against African Americans in particular. And this particular gathering went to their Klan Nazi rally and physically attacked and beat up the people who were spewing these kinds of epithets against African Americans. And about one, two months later, about a month and a half later, on November the 3rd, 1979, members of the Klan and Nazis went into a public housing community in Greensboro, North Carolina, parked their vehicles, opened up their trunks, and just took out weapons of mass destruction, all kinds of automatic rifles and pump shotguns, and they eliminated, they assassinated five members of this group. One of those members was a neighbor and a classmate of mine, and another was a very activist young man who had done so much in organizing the student population. And I share this story because of a number of things, but for the purpose of this discussion, I share the story because even though this situation was captured on national television, even though there was a federal agent in the midst of the Klan and Nazi that provided the weapons and the plan how to go and to eliminate these people who had disrupted their rally, Nothing happened to the murderers, nothing. They did not spend a day in jail. They were not convicted of any crime, whether a state law 
or a federal law. And I raise this point because this particular group that began to call themselves the Communist Workers Party found themselves putting themselves forward as the vanguard party to help bring about a change in this country that we are going to eliminate the racism, we are going to eliminate the economic injustice that was so gripping the nation. And as a result of this attitude, and I'm not trying to blame the victim, but as a result of this attitude, they found themselves without strategic alliances because they felt they were self-sufficient, that we don't need anyone. We are the vanguard. We will lead this nation to a salvation. Again, I'm not blaming the victim, but I'm appealing to us today for us not to make that mistake to think that because we have Islam and those who are Muslims believe that this, we know this is the correct deen, this is the way of life that will give us salvation in this world and in the next. Don't be so arrogant and foolishness to think that our survival in this country is not very intimately woven with the survival of other good, right-thinking people, whether those people are a part of a faith community like our brother, the Catholic brother here, who's been such a dear friend to Muslims for all of these years, whether or not these people are members of trade unions who are trying to say there's something wrong in this nation that the backdrop in this country with all of the closures of plants and all of the economic suffering that's going on, there are people in this nation who are saying that we realize that we are not just the only workers who are being victimized. This current climate of economics is helping to create, I can't put it all on this, but it's helping to create an environment where people are looking for easy scapegoats. And what do we have with the Muslim community as easy scapegoats? We have a community that is, has so many immigrants in its ranks, whether they, these immigrants are citizens of this country or not but first generation and second and third generation immigrants are part of this fabric of the Muslim community in, the, in America. So in the context, in an environment where people have this anti-immigrant spirit, they are saying the Muslims are a convenient, easy target. Look at all of those people who we don't think belong here because they don't look like us. They don't dress like us. And so in our efforts to build strategic alliances, we have to tap into those good people of the faith community, but we have to be real about it. There are so many people in this country today in a majority Christian nation who are even saying, I don't even think that this man is Christian enough, that he's not a 
Christian. Look at the people that he interacts with. He's not Christian enough. There's a right-wing evangelical movement in this country that is refining the definition of who is a believer, who is not, that doesn't forget about including Muslims. But it excludes those who are professors of Christianity and Judaism as well. And so when we look into this faith community, we look for strategic alliances. There's no time for us to play games with people. There's no time for us to say, I want to have a dialogue just for the purpose of having a dialogue. What are we going to do to address the issues that are confronting us here in this country today? And so when we look at all of these people out of works, we're finding that there are some labor unions. And I keep saying this because I come from a trade uh, labor movement family. I used to be a union organizer myself. But in recent months, in recent years, I found that there are some labor unions who are reaching out even specifically to the Muslim community because they're saying, we understand that you are part of this American fabric. You have something to bring to the table of America. What can we do to assist you while you're under this assault by these bigots and these racists in the way that you're under assault? Brothers and sisters, looking around, it amazes me in 2008 when it was said that these companies, these banks are so big that they're too big to fail. When in fact I say that not only if people saying the banks themselves were too big to fail, those banksters, those people who, who, who corrupted the economic and the lending system, that they must have been too big to jail, that they should be somewhere in prison for the kind of transfer of wealth, the illegal transfer of wealth that has taken place from 2008 until today. There are people out in this community who have the same feeling, I'm trying to paint a picture, that because you and I know Islam is a dean and it has something to say about every aspect of life, don't limit ourselves in looking for strategic partners to those who have saying that I am of this faith and I am of that faith and you should limit your associations to those who are professing these kinds of things. Brothers and sisters, I'm a part of an organization in North Carolina that has chapters all over the country and the name of this organization is Americans United for the separation of church and state. And there's a member uh, who's really active in the community 
of, from which I am a part of our, my Muslim, our mosque community, who used to go, who still goes to a number of their meetings, and he used to keep telling me, you need to come to one of these meetings. It's not what you think it is. Take the time, just a few minutes, to see what they're talking about. So I said, okay, I'll go to a meeting. And what I discovered with this particular group of Americans united for the separation of church and state, I found some strategic partners who were saying that we are those people who hold up the First Amendment. We believe that there is not the right to impose a religion on a population that you are free to practice whatever religion you want without attack or to have no religion whatsoever and not have it imposed upon you. So on July the 1st, inshallah, we're going to host at the mosque where I am what they're calling the celebration of the First Amendment. Nationally, this group is doing this, and they're seeking out masjids and Islamic centers all around the country. They want to say, these are our strategic partners. We want the entire community to come to the mosque, not just because they have an air-conditioning building. We want to come here because these are our fellow neighbors these are our fellow citizens who are under attack. Why? One reason because of the attitude of a narrow group of people who are not only trying to marginalize Muslims from the public square, but trying to criminalize the practice of Islam in this country as well. We need to look around for a moment and say that, well, you know, the American military, that this country has more money tied up in the military budget than any countries on the face of the earth, that 38 nations who are the top 38 nations in defense budgets, put them all together, and America is still dedicates more of its financial resources to death and destruction than the 38 nations combined who are the leaders in appropriating money for defense. 38. And then I scratch my head because I'm kind of slow, so I say, well, where is all of this money going for? I mean, What's going on? I mean, why should Muslims be concerned with these things that these peace activists are talking about? Why should Muslims be concerned with what people are talking about, about schools being shut down? I think it, I, I can't remember, someone correct me, I think it may have been Philadelphia, where 40 public schools were closed for the want of money. 40 schools shut down because they say we can't get money for our budget. And so I say to and remind myself and remind you that the majority of all of our children 
Muslim children in America are in public schools, so we find natural allies amongst those non-Muslims who are saying, forget about all of that money that you're spending on weapons of mass destruction. Forget about all of the money that you're spending flying drones all over the place. And when I read more and hear more, you're flying them more over the Muslim lands than you're flying them anywhere else on earth. And I don't know a lot, but I'm hearing, and help me if I'm wrong, I'm hearing that as you fly these drones, you're killing more civilians than the people you claim to be targeting because of their activities. You're killing people in wedding parties. You're doing all of this nonsense. And so now there's a growing movement in this country who are saying that these drones are some wicked things where somebody can sit in Las Vegas or sit in New York playing with a joystick, suffering, sucking up a cappuccino, eating their Krispy Kreme donuts and just operating a joystick and killing people thousands of miles away. They had this NATO summit, and I'll be finished here in a second. They had this NATO summit up in Chicago. And I didn't realize it until I recently read up a little bit more. I have a young friend who's just drone crazy, Muslim friend and stuff is running him crazy. He's running all over the country. He's really active, doing a good job with this. So he sent me a book. He said, you're a little neutral on this thing. Read about this and maybe it'll activate you a little bit. So I read the book. And I didn't realize that I thought that because these things have this surveillance, this quiet capacity, and they could be so many thousands of miles up, I thought that all drones were things about as big as this stage, and they were 10,000 miles in the air, and they could either do surveillance or they could shoot missiles at people. But then I realized after reading this book, a well-documented book, that they can be so small you can put them in a backpack, that they're creating them like hummingbirds to come and sit on your window and just perch like a bird to hear everything that you are saying. And then I again go back to the fact that there are people in this country who recognize that the America that has made this nation so great and has inspired so many to want to make whatever sacrifice necessary in years past to get here. And I'm talking not so much about economic opportunity and advantages, but I'm talking about the liberties, the freedom, the ability to criticize the government at any level when it's doing wrong. The capacity to write about whenever someone is overstepping their bounds, to write about it, to 
organize, to try to appeal, to demonstrate, to let's come together and change all of these things that are going wrong. And then we wake up one day and we find that people my age who have gone through hell and high water simply because of the accident of my birth. But I've gotten over that. I've gotten over the fact that certain things happen just because I was born to African-American parents. I've, got, I've gotten over that. That ain't my issue now. But it continues to be my issue when I see civil liberties being eroded every single day. And I don't have time to get into all of these things, but I want to give you the good news that there are some strategic partners who are out there who recognize what is happening in this nation today with our civil liberties. And they are scratching their head and they're saying that, you know, it seems like those Muslims are the direct target of much of this stuff. That a lot of this new legislation, I don't know, but it seems like those people who call themselves Muslims are the ones who this legislation is being targeted against. And so I just remind you, as I remind myself, that there are a tremendous number of strategic alliances that we can make. Don't limit yourself. Don't think of anti-Sharia only in the context of a religious issue as it relates to Muslims in this community, in this country. Don't think of it. It is, beyond a shadow of a doubt. But it's such a bigger kind of issue. And there are people in this country who understand sometimes before you and I understand the implications of these assaults, particularly when it's packaged in a certain kind of way. I want to close on one uh, quick story and one appeal. The one quick story that I'll close on is this. Personally, for anyone that's known me from my high school days to this day, I've tried to involve myself in issues of social justice from high school all the way up until this, this time. And recently, in the last two years, I was hired on as an associate chaplain for Muslim life at the local university in my hometown. And recently, to have read what some Islamophobes, some racists, some bigots, how they have characterized my decades 
of social activism and trying to make society better is, is just amazing. It's startling. I guess because I'm reading about myself. But one of the benefits that I found in trying to find strategic partners, not just self-interested, not just because I think or you think that this can benefit the Muslims, but because it's right. It's the right thing to do. It's the correct stance to take. I have never in my life felt more gratitude to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for the people who are, I don't have to open my mouth. As a matter of fact, Brother Zahid, the university put a gag order on me, told me you can't say nothing until we tell you you can say something. But I've never felt more gratified to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for the people of the community that I've been a part of who are stepping forward, the peace activists, the social justice people, the folks in the interfaith community. And it's a good feeling, regardless of how Allah determines outcomes. But it's a good feeling to know that there are those who see the struggle of Muslims in a larger context. So my appeal for us today is for you and I to see it in a larger context. Otherwise, we're going to limit our potential in making these alliances. That if your Islamic center, if your masjid, if your Muslim organization does not interact with people outside of its walls, that is content to just have relationships with those who come behind your walls, then it's time for you to insist that for the future of Islam in this country, for the betterment of all of us, imam, director, president, we got to do more. We got to come out from behind the walls of our buildings. We can't be that mystery group of people so when some lunatic, when some racist, when some bigot wants to say any and everything derogatory about you, people don't know whether they're te telling the truth or not because they only see us running in and out and jumping in our cars and speeding back to the places where we live. So challenge our leadership. If they're not involved, challenge them. Have them tell us why we are not interacting with those progressive elements in the Catholic and the Unitarian and in the Quaker traditions. Tell us why we are not doing these things. Have them explain to you and to me how they see isolating ourselves and being a part of the public square in this country. Have them explain to us how this is going to benefit the Muslim community and benefit this society, this country in which we live.
Assalamu alaikum.